0: This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, and this is podcast number something, 12, I believe. Um, And with me is Molly Klein, again, um, in New York, and I'm in Norway, so uh, we shall start. But before, actually, before we start, let me just say to people that we have a series of plays, one acts, pod plays, um, that are being recorded as I speak. And uh, they should be up on the the site here um, in a in a matter of days. So uh, I hope everybody uh, will give a listen to those. I, I'm I'm pretty pleased with how this has turned out. Anyway, Molly, hi,
1: hi. So I thought since we could pick up on things that we've taught discussed before, but um, maybe we should talk about just you know what's going on with this COVID thing, and then.
0: You know, yeah, today
1: it's become very clear. Governor Cuomo uh, in New York made it very clear that he's actually—they're using the shock doctrine. You know that this—it's too bad Naomi Klein uh, became so rancid, which she did, and maybe she always was. I don't—I don't quite believe that, but um, that because she would have the clout to explain this. But obviously, this is the program—it's hitting New York now that was begun. You know, in the late. 80s, you know, in 1989, 90, 91, in the Soviet Union, the shock therapy and the the he's literally saying he's going to raise the the New York State educational system to raise it to nothing, and then you can build your dream world on it. And they're very clear now that the dream world is going to be, you know, fair sharecropper type work on UBI, you know, it's going to have a work requirement and you're going to have to buy your own equipment from the company store and be in perpetual debt, you know, for most people, then starvation and extermination for a lot of people. And they're really doing the, we're going to be selling our kidneys.
0: Yeah. I I saw um, an interview with Cuomo, I guess today or yesterday, uh, where he talked about the, the new model for education. Um, that why does the old model persist? You know, we can we can do this with um, you know computers and screens and and teach everybody this way. And um, and he's of course employing Bill Gates to um, help get this done.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, and first of all, he has no authority to do that. Like the legislature should sh- shut those powers down now. I mean, he's he's making laws by diktat, which is not our system. It's not right. constitutional. Whether in New York. Or the federal constitution, and then also though there it's Bill Gates's plan, right? But they've been running this plan now since the since the 80s. I mean, it's effectively Reaganism, but it's this shock therapy. You know, as they did it in New Orleans with Katrina, but now right. it's going to be global. But the the real target is the the U.S. working class, I think important. They had to get their ducks in a row, which involved the gentrification, which is a huge thing. They had to gentrify upper Manhattan because they're going to surround Manhattan. It's going to become the ruling class fortress, but you couldn't do that while Harlem, Washington Heights and Inwood were all, you know, working class or uh, militant areas of militancy. So they've gentrified all of that. And dispossessed people and now you have the whole island is is a ruling class playground effectively and um, they're going to seal it off and and it's uh, it's really happening and if you look back at the 1990 91 i mean 1991 92 93 after the fall soviet union the the shock doctor the shock therapy what they did you know this massive sudden crash of living standards that's the plan except they're going to there's going to be no opposition now because of social media
0: yeah, it's very strange. I mean, the, um, I know in Hollywood, for example, which may not be the, the most germane example, but um, that the return to, uh, to, you know, production of shows and so forth has a lot of restrictions. And, and in fact, the number of crew is cut in half, if not right, more. Right, it's
1: union busting.
0: It's yeah, and, busting. and just but decimated. I mean, no guest stars, yeah. no, um, no location shoots, they're just doing, and I've seen a couple of episodes now, um, yeah. there was a recent episode of this kind of terrible legal show called All Rise, but I watched it because I knew this was sort of a post-pandemic um, episode, and it was ridiculous, it was, it was everybody, the entire episode was everybody on their computer um, with the camera on, talking to each other, and split screens, sometimes multiple screens, and it was unwatchable, but... Right, yeah, but um, they're
1: also there, it's do- indoctrination, right, this is, you have to get used to this, because this is going to be life, you're going to be in a cell, in a kind of yeah. cell, and this is going to be your communication, because it's, because it's the way to monetize everybody's life, but also, it's, you know, it's the imprisonment, it, it's unbelievable, I'm sure, I mean, there are, of course this could all be studied and prepared for and stuff like that but i am still surprised by how supine but this was brilliant on their part because they've made the unions are afraid to to um, resist because literally because they're afraid of being cancelled on twitter like yeah. that's the only yeah. things well
0: i mean. It- this this episode of of All Rise was interesting because not just for the fact that everybody was on a screen through the entirety of of the show, but that people were having sex on screen,
1: right? Each
0: in, each in their own cell, so it was like voyeuristic masturbatory sex or something. But it was presented as incredibly satisfying, like better than you know being
1: together. Um, it's a, and, Right, this is the sales pitch of your future world. Yeah. You're supposed to long for it. They're trying to make you long for it. I don't know if that's going to, but actually more and more, when I see these young people and the people born after 1989 had a huge percentage of mental illness, of physical illness, chronic illnesses, and everything like that, the jump was from like 10% if you're born before 1989 to 50% if you're born. Yeah. Yeah. after 99 so the whole population is flooded with this and they're flooded with mental impairments that actually change how language works even for the non-impaired because language is social so you've got these people like the way they talk about sex like it's like they they have no idea how someone else feels so of course sex is like always going into a sort of dark room of a haunted house where anything could happen. I mean, you hear people say, well, you know, we were having sex and then he started raping me. Or You know, and this is honest, they're being honest, but it's like they're because there's no sense at all of how other person feels and whether the other person cares about how you feel. They're, it's all like on the screen. It's all, so they feel actually safer on the real screen. Like, it's unbelievable to me. It's what interesting
0: I now. yeah yeah no i saw i saw a thread oh a couple of weeks ago on yeah. i guess it was twitter but it might have been facebook or something else yeah. um and and it was not a thread of anybody i knew it was you know kind of a a mainstream thread of something and i don't even remember the topic but the point was that all the comments 90% of the comments were gifs right and the gifts were 90 percent of those gifts were from movies and television yeah. shows and celebrities and it it was like a new language a new pictogram yeah. language of some sort um yeah made up amazing. of gifts from the He's entertainment saying, industry. and they
1: feel that's more they they resort to these things like either putting lol at the end of their sentences or all this stuff that's it. extra because the language is not working for them they don't understand it they bre- fragment it they can't synthesize a whole sentence but also yeah these pictures these images these little images that and they find that really powerful it it's really strange when it for me it's very alienating kind of stupid and it looks embarrassing that you've resorted to this except unless it's really funny which occasionally they can be like anything else but right. most of the time it's just like a desperate a desperate um they're struggling for to get back into the visual screen mode you know because they can't function in, in the offline and then this yeah, every... thing with that nurse you know that nurse oh, that this fake thing that. yeah yeah
0: That was interesting. You know, um, what was her name?
1: Nicole um, Asirotek. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, when I watched it, my first reaction was, this felt like a really bad acting
1: class. It was really, or or an Instagram, you know, (laughs) awkward Instagram. Yeah. And by the I mean, time she started,
0: yeah. <laughs> by yeah. this time she started crying. I went, "Oh my God, let's stop this. Let's stop this class right here." And you know, if I'm the teacher, I start giving you notes on everything that was wrong about this scene that you just did. Um, it felt so inauthentic and bogus, and that yeah. this was this was not how people talk. And then, of course, it was content-free. It was purely.
1: Well, that was the thing. Is that like even if she did a better performance, like let's say they got someone who was really good at it, that would have should have made you more suspicious because there was no because of what it was obvious what it is. It's shit coding the criticism coming from named actual doctors and stuff like that. And it's shit coding the 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 fact that people are being that people are killed in hospitals, not like this, not like the wire comedy, Keystone Cops putting the tube down. I mean, this all this nonsense that was being ta- um, spewed when in fact the doctors have come out and it's like, we know things happen. We know how hospitals kill people with, with their actual top-down pharma profitable um, programs. And it doesn't look like a chaos and ridiculous and mistakes and malpractice. It's, practice it's the actual (laughs) methods that's the problem and you know so it's shit coding that the thing the purpose of it was so obvious but then I see all these people I had an argument on Facebook like trying to decide whether the facts or the semi-facts because there were no actual facts but semi-facts that she says are true based on how they feel about her delivery when it's yes. the other you're supposed to reason the other way you're supposed to and then i was thinking it's like how people go deal with John Kiriaku like they say oh he seems like such a such a straightforward candid guy it's like the guy is a fucking trained CIA spy that's what he he's good at that's his <laughs> skill if he tells you the CIA had no in um torture program before uh, 9/11 it's like as if you the way a lot of people reacted to John Kiriakou saying, oh, but look, he's such a, he seems like such a truthful guy. Like, that's how they're going to decide whether the CIA had a torture program behind be, before 9-11 is how they feel about John Kiriakou when he's a trained CIA spy. He's supposed to um, seduce you, and he's, suppo- right. he's, you know, he's good at this. That's how, why he made the big bucks, you know, and then... Well, you don't. It's the reverse. It's ass backwards reasoning.
0: Yeah, it's 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 interesting because <clears throat> this is this is the way in which people are spectators to um, you know sporting events or television or any of these things. This sort of spectatorship has now become. I mean, politics is purely a spectator industry or something now. It's it's. Um, how you feel if he seems like a nice guy, if he's attractive or she's attractive or unattractive, or I don't like, you know, the dress this person is wearing or whatever it is. Um, all these kind of subjective um, uh, feelings that people own and defend um, has become the way uh you know, they view the world and make judgments and discernments about the world. Um, it's and
1: shocking. It's... I mean, it was a part always of the whole, you know, televisual world, right, or politics, even itself, going back to, you know, the 17th century. But now it's dominant. That's at some point, the screen world, the screen experience achieved a critical mass where now it's the dominant way people feel they live on the screen. The screen is the real world and they they don't have any sense of a reference to a world outside it so that they can't double check. Like they look at that nurse and they think they can't call all the hospitals and find out who employs her. And the fact that uh, that no hospital, you know, the hospital, they can't there. It's like, they're, in, they're impaired in their ability to say, well, okay, so the hospital knows that they employ her, so the hospital that knows that she's making these accusations has to give a statement, because they know she works for them, and that this could be found out, and the right. fact that there's no statement means there's no hospital.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> right, well, I mean, but that, you know, and that seems reasonably apparent, actually, but, but, um, you know, the, the, information that is disseminated now. I think you're right, and I wanted to touch on this, that that um, the intention of these things is pretty clear. You know, it is to neutralize real criticism and dissent by by spewing out endless contradictory, crazy, whatever, you know, theories or or irrational complaints or whatever it is.
1: Right. De Illuminati. Um,
0: and you just get buried. The public, the the person who comes to this without perhaps you know a huge political education or or whatever it is, um, you know, is just buried, drowning in this in this tidal swell of of misinformation and and crazy stuff, and then sort of projected against that. Are these calls from you know the authority apparatus for stopping fake news? See how much fake news there is we have to we have to do something about this, curate it in obama's
1: words exactly and then you know that's why news. this nurse i i won't I won't be surprised if eventually they admit that it's a so called you know a hoax. they like that word hoax because yeah. that that's a sort of gotcha that's a buzzword right yeah. so they admit that it's that that there was no hot or that it's not truthful or whatever. And they'll say it like, well, she didn't actually, what has she done wrong? She hasn't accused anyone. And it's true. Right. She didn't name a hospital. She didn't name a doctor. Um, so she's safe. And and that may not even be Nicole Sirotek for all we know. She doesn't say that's her name. Right. Somebody on YouTube said that's her name. So, yeah. you know, all these things um, will eventually come out to say, look how stupid the the doubters are who think that people are being killed in hospitals when of course people are being deliberately killed in hospitals not like that and people are being deliberately killed outside of hospitals. I mean, it's a ruling class program. And what this did is it, it shifted the blame to nurses. Nurses yes. in New York yes. City who are targeted now, right? They've been laid off. Their unions are targeted. It's a racist thing. There's a lot of nurses who are immigrants. There are a lot of nurses and people of color. And it's, and people, and they knew that the white people who watched this nurse crying, were going to love that story that the real blame is on and they're picturing the nurse, you know, this, you yeah. know, um, and then, then at the end of that little speech, of course, she starts going off about, you know, black people, black people are to blame, black power <laughs> nice. groups, she says, black power.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, and and but that that's what struck me is that this was the shifting of blame um, from you know the World Health Organization or state you know you know medical policy or the AMA or any of this or Bill Gates. on to, you know, these poor doctors and nurses. Um, yeah, some of whom are bad, but many of whom are very good and hardworking and who are now, you know, hospitals across the country are shutting down.
1: Yeah, they're uh, being, right, they're under attack. So the whole thing was a, was a Gates-type storytelling, just like The Wire. It was exactly like The Wire. It had exactly the same method of saying, look at this. This is a jungle, meaning there's too much democracy.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's, that's the template that um, it's, it's very interesting because, because so many of the films and especially TV dramas that are produced now um, employ that, that, that kind of paradigm. That's, that's the message somehow. And um, it's
1: like, Fascists, you know, like just like when the fascist, fa- the color revolutions, they say, oh, there's corruption. Right. You know, that's right. their story. So this is like, yeah, that's it's corruption, it's mismanagement, it's a chaos. If you go into this hospital, you're going to see people who don't know how. You know, stories, ludicrous stories, that, and then, but their people are they design them so that the, there's an audience segment that loves it so much that they get attached to it, no matter well, what you evidence know, you put before them.
0: And so we have three decades or so of this kind of storytelling. And one of the things I've noticed in social media, and, and happened to me today, um, is that when people try to formulate an argument, of course, there's huge exceptions. I know, you know, tons we both do of incredibly sharp people that are, that are you know, fighting against this. But um, when people try to formulate a narrative that, Um, defends their position or or presents their position somehow it invariably is hugely sentimental it's this this bathos you know somebody said to me today I bet you have never held anybody who was dying in your arms
1: (laughs) right (laughs) like Like when they say why do you hate something well why do you you hate you know right where it comes down to right they always reset it to this and why you know they have no principles. People can't think. Well, I'm not going to say they can't think abstractly because one of the things is these stories are told. They're extremely abstract. They're completely formulaic narratives that have no reality. But hmm. it's a it's the wrong. They can't um, they can't think dialectically, and they're they have no sense of reality anymore. So they can't talk about a principle, which is why like they can't put um, you know the COVID story like. Um, we need new words right we need a vocabulary for these phenomena because we never had this many human beings so irrational that the whole society is irrational
0: and I think one of the key things I mean this is a this is a huge topic in terms of aesthetics and art too which is um, the the decline of language that that people can't express themselves And, and this has been going on for a while of course but it's reached some kind of of you know, absolute neither now. I mean, people can only express themselves in, in these very cliche-ridden, sentimentalized, um, kitschy little narrative lits that they have borrowed from the entertainment industry. Um, that image, have you ever held a dying person in your arms? No, and probably most people haven't you know that's from a tv show that you saw and from about 50 television shows that you saw um and and but but that doesn't matter because this is this is this kind of new pseudo language that is employed and it it always somehow evaporates there is no real conclusion arrived at and i think that because of this this kind of textual impairment linguistic impairment people have um it's what people complain about when you show them i don't know movies from the 1940s or something even where there was actual dialogue and people spoke i mean for some reason i was thinking of hitchcock this week and i wish joe nava had been able to make today's podcast but next week um because he has a lot of sharp stuff to say about hitchcock but um when you watch a Hitchcock now who's you know a guy who was kind of politically at best like a lukewarm liberal but he didn't think in those terms but when you watch and this is true of John Ford too when I did that 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 blog post and and Martin and I Martin Donovan and I were speaking you you see humans like and actually often the working class um going through their daily lives, doing these things and having conversations and communicating, and the scale is always the scale of the human, and that's one of the things that always strikes me about Hitchcock, and that isn't get doesn't get mentioned very much. The first half of Psycho is a really good example of this, but um, and and that's not what you see anymore. I mean, the occasionally shows will will I apparently by accident come on in which you see characters actually thinking, and where there is an interior life being carried through the entire story. Um, but but that's really the exception because everything is codified in these very kind of um, borrowed, you know, little mini templates of, of of Hollywood communication, of pr- other movies, everything's a reference to another movie. That is a reference to a movie before that, and before that. And it's it. The scale is no longer the human. The scale is is this weird synthetic, um, um pseudo reality, pseudo world that that that, you know, people have have internalized as being the real world. It's as if they don't pay any attention to the real world around them. And part of this comes out of this deterioration of language that people simply can't speak very much and they very can't, well. They can and they
1: can't, there's the social, the, the solipsism, like what, as you were talking, I was thinking that a parallel thing that's happening in literature, of course, this is much noted on, uh, much noted in the, and commented on that in literature and also genre novels is that People only write in the first person now there's no yeah, third person and they can't write in the third person because that so that third person sociality, even free indirect narration which was, came in with modernism where you you know get which means you know you go into a point of view. Uh, Sometimes, you know, where you're not locked into a point of view and um, that um, even that is impossible for writers to write and imagine it's impossible for people to read I see reviews on Goodreads and stuff where people who like certain kinds of genre novels they complain about something they call Oh, I forget what they call. It. But if if, you, if they're reading a chapter and the chapter involves the the um, revelation of different points of view of different characters, they get annoyed. They call it like floating, floating point of view. They hate it. They can they have to have the whole chapter from one person's point of view, one character, and then another yeah. chapter from another character's point of view. That's if it's in this pseudo third person now. But generally, they only want first person, this kind of chatty, voicey narration. And this is really, I mean, this is a psychological, sociological, uh, you know, earthquake that yeah. that people can't synthesize. They can't imagine a, a sociality, a story being told where there are multiple points of view that no, and, can be synthesized into a story.
0: Yeah, no, and, and what's interesting is that one of the trends in screenplay writing that may have Mm. now kind of um, atrophied to some degree, but it was a trend through the 90s and and early part of the 21st century, was for screenplays to have several different storylines, right? Right, Running simul... But they were all first-person storylines. Yes, they were still all first-person, so that, you know, and this is why if, I mean, I remember giving students, I don't know, Joseph Conrad or Henry James or even Graham Greene to read um, a couple of pages of, and they had enormous difficulty with Partly it.
1: because they don't, they feel, I see this, because they can take some incredibly boring thing that's written in the first person and be into it, It'd be like they're, someone's talking to them. But it's like the Gone Girl. Now it's more and more like that, like where they show two points of view, a sort of Rashomon thing where you cannot synthesize the reality out of these two separate points of view, which is, a, is an ideological neoliberal fantasy. In fact, you know, when you get five witnesses to, a, to an event, and um, even if a few of them are lying, you can still figure out the, the reality. There is a reality. You know, and and the literature now wants to say, no, you know, these two points of view show two totally different worlds, you know, or things (laughs) are so fundamentally unsynthesizable that that becomes the interest, you know, or whatever, and you know and then they go they wind up breaking into a postmodern thing so i suppose the postmodern techniques were already um signaling this but like in gone girl you know the story is you get this one guy's point of view then the wife and then but the wife's first half of the book is then turns out to be a fake a fake diary she wrote to fake the police out so you get halfway through and you realize it's all bullshit and it's like, um, oh, that awful movie, The Usual Suspects, that oh, ends yeah. with like, and, and the ending is actually, and then I woke up, the whole narrative is invalidated, but you're supposed yeah, to- and that's to very terror. common.
0: Right, and, yeah. and that's quite common. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The other thing that, that I think you find in, in film and TV now. And uh, one example that I use is if you compare, because it's basically kind of the same story, if you compare One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Girl Interrupted. Um, in one you have Nurse Ratchet who represents, you know, state authority that demands obedience and, and conformity and and, and the we-
1: sadistic.
0: And then in Girl Interrupted, instead of Nurse Ratchet, you have Whoopi Goldberg as this wonderful, sympathetic, um, caring, you know, um, doctor and and psychiatrist, I guess, at the clinic. And so the 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 Jack Nicholson's character becomes the Winona Ryder character in a sense, or maybe it's the Angelina Jolie character, they kind of split. But but they are at fault. They're a danger to themselves. They're a danger to society. They should be doing what the hospital, the authority tells them to do. When, of course, in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the whole story was to break free of that somehow, that it was death, you know.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting <coughs> and how that process, I haven't seen Girl Interrupted, but that it's feminizing, and they're addicts, and they're helpless, and that, um, right.
0: And it's just, somebody it's cares about taking, you, so, yeah, uh, One so Floor Over you, the Cuckoo's
1: yeah. Nest is, is very American. I mean, it's dissident, it's sort of anarchist, it's very American, and it's not really, a, you know, it's skewed and everything, but it's a fundamentally, it's fundamentally about liberty, and then,
0: right. Well, it's, yeah. It, I, mean, I
1: read some of the book, but
0: well, it's fundamental. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great book if you're seventeen years old. I think. Yeah. And it's it's a great film if you're seventeen. It's years a
1: great old. film. Well, I mean, there's some of it that is just. I mean, it's astonishing performances. Who is the guy, who plays the young? Guy who they bring oh, a prostitute Dourif, in. yeah, Brad And who was in Ragtime. What a great actor he is.
0: Yeah, and was also in Wise Blood, which is um, a somewhat neglected film made um, by John Huston, um, who is a deeply flawed director, but um, Brad Dourif and Harry Dean Stanton. Um, of the right, Flannery book, and it's a, it's a, just because the book is so extraordinary. But Dowd is great, is great in it, absolutely brilliant.
1: He's such a wonderful um, actor. The Ragtime is a great movie.
0: It's interesting. Um, the 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 way in which um, you people's reactions in the U.S. Now, of course, I'm not in the U.S. I was there, but I I left and I came back here. I was only there for a couple of weeks, and I came back right before this all happened thank god i got out of there um <clears throat> but you know when i talk to people there is there is extraordinarily uh, extraordinary ambivalence about the, you know the whole lockdown thing people resist it and they hate it but there's such a um the 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 peddling of this fear porn, you know, the, is, the, I don't the, think
1: anyone's afraid, but they are, they're afraid of being canceled on Twitter.
0: That's it. Yeah, I think probably a few people are afraid, but I don't, I don't afraid know. Of what the virus. Degree, I th- yeah, but I don't know what degree of fear I'm, I'm talking about. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, are they really afraid of the virus or is it, as you suggest, sort of something else? Um, I think they,
1: some people are afraid. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, because it sounded so bad, you know, and people, they were being told if you have asthma or whatever, that you're going to choke to death. It sounds awful. And so, of course, you could be afraid, but I don't think they're afraid that if they went in outside their house, that that was going to, No. they're going to be afraid <laughs> in their house. They're going to be afraid everywhere. You get afraid are, of and they, are,
0: yeah. and, and they are, yeah, and they are. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, this, this also, the other level at which this operates is we've had decades and decades and decades of film and television in which, um thousands of people are are dead in every cop show or murdered or machine gun to death or get, you know, the zombies eat them or something. Yeah. There's so much carnage everywhere and it's cartoon death. Their death is never really has any resonance or meaning and they're not really people that are killed. There's never a context, a personal sort of narrative context for the violence and, and murder and mayhem. Yeah, just, and death just,
1: is the only bad thing that could happen to you. You can't so, have something else bad happen. There's yes. nothing else that ha- You don't go to jail. You don't go to jail.
0: Right, and so I, it, it somehow that's, that, that cartoon level, cartoon death, has um, obviously, because there's so much of it and people watch this stuff, I watch it, Um, has been internalized somehow. So that that processing the prospect of real death is very difficult for people. Yeah, they
1: really think, like when you say, oh, you know, the old people are going to die, they're thinking of it without any context, which is the context is all these people are going to die. They think of it in the context that nobody's ever going to die.
0: I guess because
1: it's a game it's it all that counts is the is the the play of this video game and how many bodies there are racked up at the end of the game because they're not they don't have any reference to a real reality where everybody who's 80 is going to die within the next you know 15 years or so it's all gonna it's gonna happen but also that there are things that you're not going to stop death but also there are things worse you know there are there you know I mean it's insane. And then, you know, there's they, just no, no ability to put anything in a context of reality. It's only, a, every, reality is, a, is a, some kind of television show where all, the story that's being told is only an allegory for something. It's never right. been a, a, a referential story. It's an allegory of, of, of Trump versus the resistance, basically, most of the time.
0: Well, the effect of Trump is just is just breathtaking. Um, Yeah, people have lost. Even people I know who I consider pretty smart have lost all perspective and 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 um, discernment when because of this hatred of Trump. But that there's two things here. I mean, I'm, I'm asking this as a kind of question because I don't really know. I mean, one is this this linguistic decline in which people and mostly everybody I mean I think we're all affected by it somehow um, yeah. but but they they have um, you know lost the ability to express certain things that they feel that they sense they feel they can't quite identify it and so there's there's that um, and and then there there has been this I don't know how to put it really you know this kind of um maybe what it's what we're talking about this the way in which this kitsch landscape is set up this fake landscape this pseudo reality that that people spend a great deal of time with coupled to this this loss of language and I was talking to a a guy I know um who's Irish actually he's a writer and he was talking about he likes to read Writers that he admires, poets and, and prose writers that he admires, before he sits down to write his own work. And I said, But I think a lot of writers do that. I've done that.
1: Everybody. Um, not
0: because so. you want to borrow something. It's like a way of clearing all of this flotsam and jetsam out of your head, you know, all of this. This this debris this this um, linguistic debris out of your brain and you sit down and you read Thomas Bernhard for a chapter or you read a Pinter four or five pages of the play it it is a way to kind of semi consciously remind yourself that. That you can think and use words creatively and construct something that has meaning, even if it's not entirely conscious to you, the author or something because i th- I think if you if if you if you never do that, I mean just putting aside artists for a second, because the whole question of of creativity looms in this, I think um, uh, if you never do that. If you live entirely in the world like reality TV and CNN news shows and stuff, imagine the the you know the debris that builds up in in one's brain. I you know. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's
1: it's sort of an absurd thing to say. You shouldn't do that. Like you're gonna bar, you're gonna bar. I mean. Uh, it, that's a sort of it comes from some kind of fantastical, really mystical idea of creative art, like it's really just a relationship between you and some supernatural muse and nothing else gets right. in there. <laughs> when in fact, you know, it's, it's a way of processing raw materials that you have taken in one way or another visually, right. like ling- linguistically, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, what goes at you? Look, shit goes in, shit comes out, right? Garbage in, garbage out. If you watch reality TV all day, that's what's going to come out. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, we're not not just totally original. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, the authentic, your uh, existential authentic self and thoughts is going to form whatever has come in and something that's, you know, new is going to come out. And
0: I remember, I mean, this was one of the early lessons Mednick, way back in the Padua days, used to teach in his workshops was, you know, sit in silence and try to calm your brain a little, because you want to get rid of all these voices that you hear in media and, so, and this is 40 years ago, right? Because yeah. it's so much worse now. It's so much worse. And it's, it's very it's very hard to to. These days, and Jonathan Beller is appropriate yeah. for this discussion too i mean it 's very hard to sort of cleanse your brain of this stuff um because it 's so ubiquitous it 's so it 's so omnipresent everywhere you you hear these voices and it 's what people talk about and then you go to social media and you have this new pictogram language of gifts and you know, it's, it's yeah. or laugh out loud and, and emojis. I mean, it's astonishing. It's, my. Mi-
1: there's a mind damage, there's mind ruin that's so ubiquitous, but it's interesting to think about what you were saying about, you know, we trying to go back and read good things. I mean, I think there was a guy who's really interesting, kind of strange guy who wrote one of the first Materialist sort of theories of literary production, and this was in about eighteen hundred or eighteen ten his name is Giuseppe Pecchio, I think is a Italian enlightenment figure and he He really tried to think of like why is literature really good in some places, like why in Florence in this period and right. um, he has he had a lot of theories like partly it 's like well, how much paper is lying around but you know and, and that 's really true, but also nationalist ideas of community that language mm-hmm. um, gets better and better in circum- certain circumstances among communities and stuff and that a little bit of outside a little like foreigners are pretty good for a la- for the development of a specific idiom in a language uh, flows of foreigners flows of trade but if you think of something like in visual like why the renaissance and then you you realize or shakespeare happening or is that, yeah, there is something that there, there are these social peaks of saturation of, of stimulus. It's not that the best stuff is written by hermits alone who never talk to anyone. That's never the case. It is usually in some kind of, you know, heating up of everybody, because you don't know who's going to be the artist, right? You need, it's not an individual thing, right? You, you have to have a pool of 20,000 people and they have to all be saturated with a lot of culture and then a certain number, a uh, certain amount of excellent stuff that goes to the next level or go, takes, makes the next epic or whatever is gonna come out of that group. But it really is the saturation. So, you know, things get better and better as you have moments of, of you know, a, a, a whole population being saturated with a lot of good, material that they take in, that they learn, that they discuss, that becomes a social reality. And then now we have, um, for the last, you know, 100 years, but especially in the last 50, we have a a total saturation, but it's all fraudulent. Yeah. It's like like we suddenly be like we're animals that have been feeding on grass and suddenly we're eating astroturf. Well, it's, it's
0: it's also that like you what has been, it's it's really bad education to, it's really bad arts education, since we're speaking about the arts, um, that that people are taught, I mean, you know, I remember how Shakespeare was taught to me, I mean, it's enough to yeah. make you never, ever, ever want to read Shakespeare, <laughs> but it it's also how creative writing courses get taught, yeah. which is, Always, just exactly backwards. I mean, yeah, they're crushing
1: people's uh, talents.
0: Yeah, creativity, and, and because you know Shakespeare wrote the Tempest because he had heard of this story. It came back to London that, of this shipwreck in the Bahamas, right, on this island, and that was all he he took from it. It was this idea that this was a new world out there, and imagine right. what that would be. And um, and then he took all this sort of lifetime it was very late play in his career and 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 created the tempest, but that's that's how good stuff gets written. You don't you you need a starting point often, um, and it can be the most banal thing in the world. But if it's in the world, and you take it, and then all of this experience that you have, presumably, yeah. sort of at least unconsciously somehow gets, comes out in the process of, of creating this, this, this piece. Right, and then it's
1: it's going to be dialectical, like his personal, I mean, as you were talking just now, I was thinking about that, like his dialectical thing, like if you, so there's a story, so he's imagining it and also imagining it um, with inputs from literature about uh, cannibals and stuff like that, but then, The Caliban and the Ariel are very obviously the most personal things. Those are himself, you know, that's his relation, his different, his how he feels about himself in different relationships to his patron, you know, when he's being shit on and when he's being adored and, (laughs) and um, the patron then is also himself right then he's imagining himself as the queen who uh, yeah, can yeah. can order him, him around either treat him like dog shit or or um depend on him you know and and so then it becomes an abstract his ideas of art and theater in the caliban and the ariel um alternative Yeah, yeah and of course
0: it becomes and prospero is is shakespeare yeah. as well right yeah because that's <laughs> what i meant is...
1: as a he's the patron but then he he puts himself in yeah he's the But also in relationship to his own materials, right? Yes,
0: right. It's a a sort of weird auto-critique about theater and his life in theater, and then he's going to leave it. But, of course, he didn't quite... Right, and he's on
1: here, he's got the, here he's got the the sort of that, when he's, if you put it that way, then, then Caliban is also his consciousness of how shitty he is to his actors sometimes or whatever, the people who, who do the real work. And then also he looks at them and they're aerial, they inspire him or whatever. And that, and, but the thing is you get, you can go into this, and of course it's there's social critique and all of that is mixing through his own personal stuff but obviously it's all being formed and he's making out of it out of materials that exist in the world that he encounters
0: yeah i think i think that that's it it's that that the worst thing besides social media (laughs) maybe the internet as it's been set up and all these platforms has been the other worst thing that happened was um was the development of, of these arts programs and MFA programs. I mean, whenever I think about it, I think, oh, I'm, I'm just being, you know, bitchy or something or complaining about it. But it has been extraordinarily destructive for people. It-
1: I think it's really distracting because even some, you can tell sometimes when you encounter someone who was probably a good writer who was destroyed by it. Yes. And then you yes. have a pieces of shit in front of you that's reactionary garbage and you think, how did this happen? Because the person has some insights or somewhat, you know who I'm thinking, like, I kind of like Richard Powers, do you know Richard Powers? Yeah, Goldberg? yeah. Yeah, so he, I don't know if he went to one of these schools, but some of his stuff is is quite inspired, there's a human content, and yet there's something, there's some demand on it that makes it go awry most of the time.
0: Mm. Well, I Trivia, mean, yeah,
1: trivializing, he's afraid of his own, I mean, he wants to write grand, kind of 19th century, you know, grand Panoramas of how the system, you know, and then yeah. he, winds up, he winds up having to squeeze them into all these rules of, you know, what counts or what's serious or not not being ideological or whatever.
0: Well, the, I think what happened with 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 MFA programs, at least in in prose and and writing and playwrights for playwrights, um, was was. Th- was this idea that um, that form was really formula and that you you were um, creating these um, clever cleverly constructed um, but ultimately incredibly empty you know little creations that um, resembled other clever Previously created creations, and and I say this all the time. But but you know, if anybody can tell me a a really profound play that came out of an MFA program, I I would you know I'll send you a paycheck because um, (laughs) because I don't know a single one, and um, and that that's really harmful to people. And I think that when I you know I'm what 68 years old now, but I look at writers that I came up with and people that I, you know, worked with 30, 40 years ago, and there's a certain kind of um, like mental attrition that they, I mean, most of the people I know are exhausted um, emotionally, psychologically, and I don't want to say defeated because I don't think they are defeated, but, but they're exhausted somehow. They don't know how to keep putting one foot in front of the other artistically. Yeah, because, you know,
1: on the last the last discussion and then also I think with Guy Zimmerman, you talked about the body without organs. I mean, one of the things is just as our body needs to metabolize air and water and fresh food, that's what we are artistically, like the the social language, the audience it's necessary, mm. even, you know, there's a fantasy that you're alone in a room and you're your own audience. Not true, that's not how um, a vigorous art can work. It has to have a, a, a body without organs to metabolize and it's, that's what's gone. So you have these last few people, you know, who've outlived it, you know, who's just like, it's like if you have an animal that has to eat, you know, a certain bug and that bug goes extinct you know that's how the artists are that's how the artists are, are surviving you know they're, they're, they're trying to eat astroturf now and yeah, you can't. And, you, and, they, and there's no audience, and you need the audience it's like it's a myth that was a bad myth of the liberal period, you know that the artist was an individual, et cetera, et cetera, just like that but you, you still are I mean it's the dialectic the dialectic has been we have been cut off from the sources of flourishing
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. The audience is hugely important, and there is, there is no audience left that, that's, you know, of any, you know, sophistication. Um, like if I think of theater playwrights. Um, you know, we you don't
1: want to just be writing for old people. That's another thing. Like now you can, you can still write for people and know that you know only people in their 50s or late 40s are going to understand you. But that's not how anybody ever wrote. They always wrote no. for the entire generation, for the entire yeah. population, well, from children to the elderly, and understood that that is part of what they're talking about is this passage of maturation. There's never going to be adults anymore after all. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I remember, um, uh, uh, I think it was Jeanne who said, somebody asked him about who, you know, audiences and who do you think should, you know, who are you writing for? And he said, well, I always imagine the very smartest, greatest audience in the world sitting out there to watch my play. That Brecht Brecht is out there and all of these people are sitting in the front. That's who I write for in my, in my head.
1: Right, and I think that's a when he said that. Yeah, right,
0: I mean, talking this is, about
1: it's realistic. It, that that it's it's only an exaggeration of something that was real.
0: But you know, today there's there's yeah. it's very hard. To, I mean, and and that I mean, when I left LA, that was not to make this a you know, yeah. um, a <laughs> personal story. But yeah. you know, I, one of the reasons I felt that it was a really great idea to leave. I mean, there were many reasons, but. One was that uh, I thought, I don't want to do yet another play where I see the very same faces in the audience, Um, because I don't feel that audience is growing and I'm not seeing any new or younger faces. I'm seeing the same audience, but they're getting gray. Yeah, it's
1: like the social has died, the social thing, the the, substrate of the art. And and it's interesting, you mentioned Janae, because I was just thinking about that, as you were saying that the the sort book on him, like the big point is that this nightmare is that eventually, you're going to be uh, taken over totally by the other, you're going to die, and other people are going to determine what you were, you're not going to have any input at all into yourself anymore, there's no potential, there's no there's nothing about you. You are. You just simply become whatever uh, your their perception of you is by the society, and that is exactly the thing that's the key to this this wide Genet's um, fruitful way of thinking about how he was writing. Yeah. Um, It's impossible for people now because they're going to be given over to an other who are these trolls going LOL and and (laughs) putting up pictures instead of words, pictures of, to try to express how they feel. Well,
0: you know, this was what, I mean, this is what Thomas Bernhard railed against forever. And he said, you know, in his will, he said, no play of mine can ever be produced in Austria again. (laughs) <laughs> I forbid it, you know, I mean, but I understood that frustration. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really, um, you know, Hanke, hanky faces this too, of course, in a whole different set of registers. Oh my god, he's but, so,
1: yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting that he got the Nobel Prize, because there was some, obviously, you know, so that's the dying last guard who's aware of what's going on. But I was thinking an example, because I got to go soon, but an example was um, like, it's so simple and stupid, but scary. Like, Jake made a tweet where he said something, he used the word finally, but it said, it was like in the context, like, oh, you know, so they, um, they uh, depleted this, and then finally destroyed it. And then mm-hmm. the person, the troll, the, the, well, a young person tweeted at him, finally, question, 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 <laughs> as if what he was saying, as if finally meant, oh, thank God, at long last. And not, right. you know, like right. they right. literally right. couldn't understand this very simple statement, because it was, the word finally was charged for them with like, oh, finally you're here. (laughs) You know, like that. And it was, it was emotionally charged and they could no longer grasp the meaning. Only that little charge. No,
0: No, people had become terrible readers. They have a great deal of trouble um, watching certain kinds of films, watching certain kinds of plays, certainly huge problems reading, very difficult Serious text, and one of the things that constantly props crops up is, um, Oh, is just you know, why is it so difficult? You know, you'd reach more people if you make it simple. Somebody said that to me the other day. On <laughs> I your, got oh, that three bl-
1: times this week, three times yeah. this week, and I was being, and I am, when I explain marks, I am like, It's 101. Yeah, I'm not no, complicated, <laughs> I do not, I do not um, try to make it uh, obscure that's not what i try to do somebody they sent me
0: i really liked your latest blog post but you know you would attract a wider audience if you didn't have such long quotes and if you weren't so dense and i thought but is do i want to attract
1: Do you want those people yeah it's like it's kind of like when people say you should you if you if you, you have to vote for the democrats because if you don't vote then you have no no um, input about what's happened. And it's like, well, I don't want to have input. I want to help something happen that I don't want to happen. You know, so it's like, they think it's like OTB, like you get to say, number
0: one. This is is the drop down menu thing again, right? There's no drop box for choices for me. And the the great example of that, and then I'm going to let you go because I know you have to go. But the great example of that is if if you want to write a complaint or a question to, to a, anything, whether it's the postal service or anything, um, you it's very hard to find who to write to. They hide it, right? And usually they'll yeah. say, well, just go to the frequently asked questions section. Yeah. And have all these model questions, none of which are ever the question you want to ask
1: no and but it's a pu- is... it's like a push pole. it's telling you what to, what to think exactly
0: to me this is a, this is the perfect little allegory of our time is frequently asked questions as a, as a way to avoid people asking real questions. OK, that's going to be gonna... the play.
1: That's going to be the next radio play, frequently asked questions. <laughs> Speaking of
0: radio plays, I hope everybody who listens to these podcasts will, will um, remember these plays are coming up and we're doing it on zero budget. I want to thank officially Jack Littman, who has made a lot of this possible running around Los Angeles. Um, and uh, all the actors and directors and writers in Aesthetic Resistance, because they did terrific work um, in a difficult time right now to make all this happen. So thank you guys. And Molly, thank you. And we'll Fantastic. do this again next week with Joe Nava. Oh,
1: we wanted to, Joe.
0: Yeah, we got, okay, to, we got to talk movies with Joe. Okay. Take all right. Care you we'll too. Talk, we'll thank, you thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.